I just want to give a shout out to the worship team. That was just all kind of good stuff. And uh, I love hearing my daughter sing in Spanish. Did y'all like that? I love that. There's a lot of you out there can sing that in Spanish, I know, because we've had that kind of a thing here because ever since I've been here, missions in Spanish has been a part of our identity. And uh, we'd, lo we'd love to welcome Miss Stella's father here today. George is here. He heard I'd be preaching today, so he flew in. <laughs> We're so glad you're here, brother. God bless you. Mark and Kim Atwood are back here with us from Tennessee. Praise God. Amen. Dear friends that have been, I used to sing up here with us a long time ago. I don't know how long ago it was. I'm not even going to go there. So I guess it was like six months ago, right? <laughs> when you get my age, you, you, lose, you lose track of what time uh, things happened. But it's, they've been a part of our story here and uh, so glad uh, that they were able to come back and be with us today. Are you ready to hear the word this morning? Amen. We are ready to bring the word, and we're finishing a series of messages. Uh, actually, Pastor Blake kind of put this all together. It's called Love Letters. We'll put the uh, logo up here. And the idea was that these letters <clears throat> were written by Jesus. Sometimes when people look at Revelation, the book of Revelation, by the way, it's not Revelations. It's Revelation, okay? I don't know why. I always hear that, but, you know, it's Revelation, the Revelation your Bible might say the revelation of St. John the Divine. That's not actually accurate. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, okay? <clears throat> it's the unfolding of Jesus Christ. And there's a whole lot of good stuff in the book of Revelation. And he starts off by talking to the church, which I think is important. Because we see, we see society heading down. And we see our world crumbling. And we see the institutions of our world under attack. And we want something to change, right? <clears throat> I mean, we're here today. We'd love to see our city change. I, that's what I want. I want to see righteousness happening right here where I am. You say, what about across the river? That too. <laughs> but I just happen to be here right now. And when I'm in Gomez Palacio, that's where I want to see it change. You know, the Great Commission is changing the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ starting at home. That's what we learned from Acts. We start at home move out, and we do that. Here we're at home today. We're looking at our situation now, and many of us want God to change our society and God to change our neighborhood, but the truth is God's going to first come to the church because the church has to be right before anything else can get right out there. I think Peter's the one that said a judgment must first begin at the house of God. And the judgment that he's talking about is the conviction and the change and, and things like that because we know that the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus and we're not under his condemnation today. There's now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. That's good news, by the way. If you're in Jesus Christ today, uh, there's no condemnation for you. But there might be conviction. And the Holy Spirit may get on us today because I want you to know that Jesus is, is looking at Eastland and the same way that Jesus sent a letter to Laodicea, he can send a letter to us. And the words that Jesus said years ago, many, many years ago, are still forceful for us today. And so I'm going to talk about the church at Laodicea. Now, I noticed it was interesting that Blake got all the churches that were doing well and I got all the ones that were messed up. I don't know what I think about that, but that's what happened. Amen? 
I was listening to Blake preach about Philadelphia last week, and I, I got it. If God opens a door, no one can shut it. God's opened a door here at Eastland. God opened a door for 3D Life Recovery this year. Amen? God opened a door for Tres de Recuperación de Vida in Mexico this week. And what God opens, no one can shut. So don't worry so much about, well, what's going to happen? You know what? Something bad might happen in our country, and they may say that they're going to put other restrictions on us. I want you to know there is freedom and power in Jesus Christ. We don't have to be afraid of that stuff. Listen, we don't live in fear. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. If y'all won't say amen, I'll do it myself. Amen. <laughs> so today's message is from Laodicea, and Laodicea was a mess. In fact, in every church, I think even Sardis had a, something that was going pretty well. Jesus had nothing good to say about this church. And if this church was alive in America, we would look at it and say, man, that's a great church. We would. We'd look at it and say, this is a great church. If we moved to town, Mark, we'd want to find this church. We could make some business connections or whatever, you know. I mean, that's the way the world looks at things now. This church had all kinds. They had money. They had success. We're going to talk about it, okay? But the way we see things and the way God sees things is sometimes different. In fact, most of the time. Let's put the scripture on the board, okay? Revelation chapter 3, I'm going to be reading out of the NASB. And sometime in the near future, I'm going to be using the NIV more than I am now simply because I just change it up once in a while. I read in the NASB most of the time. But sometimes I like the way the NIV puts things. In this case, I love the way the NASB did it, in particular for one word, and I'll get to that in a moment. This is Jesus writing. He says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, and that's basically the word is angelos. It means to the messenger, whether that was a lead pastor or an elder or whoever, but it was somebody that was representing the church. And he started the letter. He says, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says this. Now, see, when we write letters, we write a letter like, Dear Jerry, signed Brian. That's the way we do it here. But in those days, they started with the person who was writing the letter. So when Jesus is writing the letter, I want you to notice it didn't say John, St. John the Divine to the church at Laodicea. It said, no, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this. That's pretty stern. That's like getting a text message from someone that says we need to talk. You know, that's kind of like right to the point. Jesus says, I say this. Now, when you get a letter like that, you might want to pay attention because there might be some heavy things in there. He says, I know your deeds. Uh-oh. Whatever you were up to last night, he knows your deeds. Whatever you were doing on the way to church, he knows your deeds. And he says that you're neither cold nor hot. Now, one of the things we struggle with here in the church is keeping people from extremes. What we do is the people manning the uh, air conditioner back there, we watch people. When all the fans come out, we turn the air down. When people start turning blue, we turn the air off. And we go back and forth because our goal is to keep people kind of in the middle, right? It's hard to do, right? Some of you today are going to say, it's really hot in here. To me, it's not hot at all. I was in 100-degree weather last week. This isn't hot right now. 
But that's what we try to do here, and it's hard to please everybody all the time. And it's okay in that sense, but when Jesus is talking about cold or hot, he's not talking about the physical temperature. He's talking about the spiritual temperature of your relationship with him. Whether you're on fire for God or whether you're so cold that no one even knows if you're alive. Amen. Hey, I preached to people once in a while. I thought, I don't know if that guy quit breathing or not, you know. The only way I know some people's alive is because I can hear them snore. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. I mean, you're either one or the other. You see, most of America aims for the middle. I don't want to be one of those radical Christians because everybody's going to talk funny about me. Hey, you know what? If you're afraid of what the world's going to say about you, you're not fit for the kingdom of God according to Jesus. And if you're one of the persons who put your hands to the plow and get started, you start looking back, Jesus says you're not fit for the kingdom of God. Hello? Jesus is like kind of all or nothing with him. You come in here and put one foot in this thing and say, I think I'll just ride the fence a little while. I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to ride it most of the time. You're going to ride it straight into hell. There's a lot of people going to stand before Jesus one day, and, and Jesus is going to talk to them. They're going to say, hey, hey, I, we're good, Jesus. I went to church. I went to Bible study. I went to small group. I went to 3D Life Recovery. I went out and did things. I worked coffee shop. I did this and did this. And Jesus said, I never knew you. Can you imagine anything more tragic, more catastrophic than that? I can't imagine it. And so Jesus says, I wish you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, what? I will spit you out of my mouth. Boom. Doesn't sound like a love letter, does it? See, the thing about Jesus is Jesus shows his love by telling the truth. Truth can hurt, but it never harms. Truth always gets to the point. And the point of Jesus telling you the truth is that he said you will know the truth, and the truth will do what? Set you free. Amen. So I'll spit you out of my mouth. And what? Okay, so what's going on? Because you say, I am rich and I become wealthy and I have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So, so, so much for understanding what life looks like. A lot of people are like, I'm good, I'm good. Jesus is like, you're not good. And you do not know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. He said, I advise you. To buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich. And white garments so that you may clothe yourself. And the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes so that you might see. Those whom I love, there's the word love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Did you hear that? If you overcome the lukewarmness of this church age, which I think we're in this area right now, I think there's more Laodicea in America right now than ever in our lifetime. And I want you to know that you, if you're going to decide to be hot for Jesus, Folks are going to talk about you. They're going to criticize you. They're going to say all things against you because of Jesus' sake, according to what Jesus says. But do you know what Jesus says? If you'll just stop focusing on what people say, you'll stop focusing on making people happy and start focusing on serving the Lord and loving on the Lord and being what you need to be before the Lord. He says, you can overcome. 
And if you overcome, there's some good stuff waiting for you on the other side. Hey, what will it gain the whole world? What would it gain a person if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? I want you to know what he says about me is way more important than what somebody else says about me. Amen? Whether or not somebody's in a church or somebody's in a, in a community or somebody's on, on the Internet talking about me, that might make some sense. It may not. It might mean something. It may not. But I'll tell you what means everything to me is what he says about me. Amen? So he's asking us to be zealous and repent. But what's he asking us to repent for? We're going to have to get to the bottom of what he's talking about. I've got a few thoughts today. That if, I don't know if you've got outlines today or not, but we pretty well gave them all away last night. I think we may have some more, so if you do, let's go on. Point number one is the simple phrase that says, I know. In this message, the message is called confusion and catastrophe in the middle of the road. Confusion and catastrophe in the middle of the road. And I know something about being in the middle of the road. I just got back from Mexico, amen? And they use all kinds of lanes in Mexico. Fortunately, I didn't have to drive to Saltillo because on the way to Saltillo, there's, there's two-lane roads going up mountains, and it's very common for whoever you're with to just kind of take the second lane or the middle lane or middle something and just go, and you're looking at 18-wheelers coming right at you. Not a good place to be. And I didn't have to go there this time, but I did get my faith increased while I was there this week. So Jesus looks in, and he looks at this church, and he says, first of all, I know. And the reason he says, I know, is because he is the amen, the faithful and true witness. He is the ruler of God's creation. Basically, he is the final say concerning the truth. Concerning the truth about me, concerning the truth about you, concerning the truth about time and eternity, he is the final say. Now, I want to give you a little side note on when he says he is the amen, the faithful and true witness. Have you ever been in a church service and said, amen? We might want to try it sometime. That's a real question. Have you ever been in a service and said, amen? When you say that, you're saying that what is being said is a faithful and true witness. Jesus is the amen. The reason why people say that in a church service is because when something is being preached that is true, you're giving a witness to the truth. Now let me say something to you, church. This is to us. If we really want the power of God on our life, we have to do this together, right? We can't just hire someone to come and give us a message and that's going to change our community. We must work together. And one thing that you can do when I or Pastor Blake is up here trying to preach the word, when something is true, something is real, something is right, you know what you can do? You can say amen. Because when you do that, you tell everyone in the congregation that you're giving your witness that this is true according to the Word of God. And that way we can work together. You see, too much of the church today in Laodicea just simply wants to be entertained. We want to come in, find our place, sit somewhere, and somebody to come up and do all the ministry for us. Ladies and gentlemen, we are together ministers in the name of Jesus. And we've got something to say. And it's time for the church of the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ to stop being silent. Let's say it. Let's do it together. So Jesus says to them, I know. And the next thing that I thought was interesting, he was talking to them about what they knew. He's basically saying, this is what you know. He was coming to this church 
And if, he were, if you were to ask any member of this church, <clears throat> what kind of church do you have? They'd say, man, we've got a great church. Why do you have a great church? Well, first, we're powerful. According to the world standards, they were powerful. They said, we're rich. You see, when Jesus says the church said they're rich, he didn't say, no, you don't have much money. He didn't argue with them about that. He said they're rich. I remember one time, I think, I think it was one of the ancient popes, and Pope Innocent or something like that, was talking to, I think it was Thomas Aquinas, and he, said, he was counting the money that had come in. And he looked at, at Thomas, he said, <clears throat> no more can the church say silver and gold have I none. And Thomas said, yeah, no more can the church say to the leper or to the cripple, rise up and walk either. You see, we've replaced the power of the Spirit of God with the power that this world can give us. That doesn't work. See, this church will say, man, we got, the, we got the best of everything. Always understand something. It's not wrong for the church to have a nice place for people to sit, nice equipment to use. Those things aren't wrong. But those things are not our power. Those things are not the things that make us good or not the things that make us effective, okay? This church would have said, we got the best of everything. We've got the best people. We've got the most in-touch people, the most connected people, the most uh, prosperous people. We're good. Not only are we powerful, but we've got prestige. We've got somebodies in our church. We're not just a bunch of nobodies, and we are prosperous. They said, I am rich, I am successful, and I don't need anything. <clears throat> I was in a family's home last week. I hadn't seen this family in a while. And we had dinner. When we got done, I, I asked the family if I could. I want to pray for the family. And I asked the, the father, how can I pray for you? And the man said, I don't need anything. I thought, how sad. See, that's a lot of us. Yeah, we're okay. I got a job. I got money, got a car, got a house, got what I need. I don't need anything. Jesus like, point number three, you don't know. You say, but you don't know. Letter A, the church did not know what they thought they knew. They did not know what they thought they knew. Now, how sad is that? Have you ever been that blind? Have you ever been that deceived? You see, Jesus said, you say you're powerful, you're prestigious, you're prosperous, but I'm telling you, you're poor. Can you imagine telling a rich person that they're poor? They would argue with you all day long. No, I've got plenty. Plenty of what? If you think the purpose in life is to eat, sleep, make money, and die, then maybe you've got plenty. But if the purpose of life is to serve the Lord, and you have all those things, you've got nothing. Amen. You can make money, but you can't buy happiness, and you cannot buy your way to the kingdom of God. Amen. It won't happen. We love when you give offerings, but it's not buying you anything. There's nobody being helped that way. You can only get righteous through Jesus Christ and through poverty of spirit, which brings about bringing spiritual resurrection. Jesus said, you're poor. Not only are you poor, but you're wretched. Wow, can you imagine that? 
Wouldn't it be a great message? I mean, suppose I was trying out in a new church, and you all were the new church, and the first thing I said to everybody, okay, this is what I think about you. This is what Jesus says. Y'all's wretched. I wouldn't make it, would I? They'd probably send me down the road. But Jesus says it, and Jesus says it because you've got your priorities in the wrong place. You don't even have peace. No, You know what else you don't have? You're miserable. Jesus says you're miserable. Can you imagine that? No, we're doing great. Man, I've got money. It's so funny. It's not funny. It's sad. But I, I, I read these stories. I read about a baseball player uh, that just got arrested yesterday or might have been today. This guy's got, I don't want to call his name, but he's, he's successful. He's got more money than he can ever spend. He gets to play a sport for a living. But he's in jail, got arrested because he choked his wife. And so much of the church of America thinks, if I just had more money, I could get better. You can't get better with money. I get more money, it's just going to make you a miserable rich person. In fact, if you've got more money, all it's going to do is give you the power to do what you wouldn't do if you didn't have the money. And then you'll find yourself in, the, in some bad situations. Isn't it funny? We look at all these people that have power and prestige, and we think, man, if we just had what they had. But what they have is misery. I want you to know, apart from Jesus Christ, you'll never know joy. Because no matter how good you have it physically, you're going to leave it one of these days. Amen? And it's not going to do it anyway. He says you're blind. You have no vision. You are naked. You have no awareness. The emperor has no clothes. Wow. Letter B, the church had a classic case of what we call denial. Hello, 3D. Classic case of denial. Let me explain. Denial is powered by dishonesty. When you are living in denial, you're dishonest with yourself, you're dishonest with God, you're dishonest with others. And, you know, you, we talked about the breastplate of righteousness and, and the belt of truth, and that all has to do with being honest, being honest with God, being honest with yourself, being honest with others. Denial is when you're dishonest about everything. Now, you might say, I've never been dishonest in my life. Well, count that as your first. Because the truth of the matter is, dishonesty is in our heart. You say, I don't believe you. Okay, raise some kids. You will find out quickly. You know what I mean? Because you do not have to teach a child to lie. Did you get in the cookie jar? No, I didn't get in the cookie jar with cookies all over the face, right? And you might think that, that well, that was them. I've learned to lie better, right? But it's still a lie. And we lie to others. You know why we lie to others? Because we first lie to ourselves. Because we believe that the lie is a very present help in times of trouble. <laughs> but it doesn't work, does it? And so we end up powering something in our life that we call denial. Now, here are some things that bring about denial in our life. First, deceitful success. Deceitful success. I'm reminded of Jesus when he was talking about the parable of the seed that was planted, and it was coming up, but the thorns uh, were choking the word. He called that one of them was the deceitfulness of riches. Why is it that Jesus said very few rich people go into the kingdom of God? Why? Because when you've got riches, you tend to be deceived to your real need. Am I right? 
I was talking to Pastor Salo. Pastor Salo works with young people. They're called radicales. By the way, four of them were, were saved just last night. Praise God. And he works with them throughout uh, their school life to get, get them. He wants to help them get through school so they can make a living and things like that. But you know what he says happens sometimes? They go through school and they serve God and they serve God. But then when they get the piece of paper and they go get their job and they start getting their money, they kind of disappear. And he says he goes to see him. He says, hey, what happened? What happened? He said, oh, pastor, I'm doing good. I've got a good salary. You know what they're saying? I don't really need God now. And so many people in America believe that. So many churches got so much wealth and things that they don't really need God. Sometimes God keeps us poor and humble so that we can know our need. See, deceitful success can bring denial. You can think, man, everything's going good with me. Everything's going well. I must be blessed by God. Might not be true. Another thing that powers our denial is functioning dysfunction. Functioning dysfunction. You guys that have been honest about this know what I'm talking about. If you're like, I don't know what dysfunction is, then you need to know dysfunction means whatever the thing was created for, it's not functioning right. The family life is not functioning right. Your work life is not functioning right. You've got hurts, habits, and hang-ups that keep you from functioning right. And some reason, when people are in denial, we are living in a place of dysfunction, but we try to make it function. People try to come to me and say, this is my mess, this is my chaos, take my chaos and make it work. I'm like, you can't make chaos work. You have to come out of the chaos. And you'll never come out of the chaos as long as you don't know it's chaos. You know, your world's falling apart. People are trying to tell you this is what's going on and you're about to lose everything. And you're like, oh, no, I'm good. That's called denial. Resistance to accountability also powers denial. You know what's wrong? One of the biggest problems in American church today is that we have nobody looking over our shoulder. We have nobody examining our life. We think, I'm good. I can do this. I can do this on my own. I can do this. And all the while, inside of us, we've got things going on. We are covering up our sin. We are lying to ourselves. And we're getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And somebody comes along and says, I'm telling you something's wrong, and we want to say, I don't want to hear that. You know how many people have left the church because somebody like me or someone else said, you know what, you might ought to change your life because what you're doing is not going to work. But you know what we've got? We've got some of those layout of seeing churches like, hey, we won't do that to you. We'll make you feel good. Come on in here. We'll tell you. We'll help the lie. We will power your denial so that you can deny yourself, deny your, your life more, and you can go more into your dysfunction. We're going to help you do that. All the while, you're getting worse and worse and worse. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know, if you're ever going to get right with God, if you're ever going to have the joy back, you're going to have to get honest with God. You're going to have to say it the way it is. You see, the people that admit that they're a mess are the ones that get better. Come on. If you're like, I'm doing good, I'm fine, I've got it all under control, you're getting worse. And you don't even know it. Another thing that, makes us that powers denial is moderation of desire. Moderation of desire. You remember when you first got saved? You remember the power that was on your life and you just couldn't wait to talk about it and tell people about it and somebody wanted you to do something, you was ready to do it. When the church doors was open, you wasn't trying to find some reason to do something else. You wanted to be here where the house of God was. You wanted to be where the people of God was. You wanted to serve God. Everything in you was about God and you wanted to do it. But then throughout time, we start noticing the things of the world and our love, which was hot, begins to moderate. 
It's a human trait. And you've got to get real that that's the way it is. Well, I love God as much as I did when I first got saved. Really? Take a look. Take a good x-ray of your heart and tell me you're exactly where you were when you first got saved. The old timer said, if you're any farther from the top of the pole than when you started, you backslid. And that's the truth. So when our, our desire moderates, we start going this way. So much of American church, they aim for the middle. I don't want to be a radical, but I don't want to be out here doing this. And you know what we say? Well, at least I don't do what someone else does. At least. Say the word at least. Let me advise you, don't say the word at least. Don't walk around and say, well, at least I'm not like old Jerry over there. He sits on the wrong side of the church. He should be like Doug over there because he sits on the right side of the church. It's crazy. Well, at least I'm not like somebody else. You're not supposed to be somebody else. You're supposed to be who you are in front of Jesus and serving him with all of your heart. I want you to know that Jesus is not accepting your petrid worship today. If he did, then he should have kept this out of the Bible. Amen? Compromise powers that denial. I'm going to compromise a little. My mentor taught me something I'll never forget. You compromise a little, you'll go a long way. Next thing you know, you'll be turning around, looking around, saying, what in the world happened to me? Some of you are like, I started out serving God, but right now you're like, I just don't know how things are between me and God now. And I want you to know, if you don't get right today, you won't get right this week because the Bible's clear the time of it is now. And we're not going to wait till tomorrow to get right with God. And I want to tell you, this community is counting on Eastland and Jesus has put us here for a purpose. It's time for the church to rise. It's time for us to come back to that first love. Come back to that place where we love God like we did at the beginning. And God, whatever you want to do with my life, that's what I'm willing to do. Amen. Another thing that's wrong with denial is faulty perception. We just don't see it. Have you ever had everybody crowd around you and say, you know what, you've got this problem? You're like, no, I'm good. No, I'm good. You, you can't see it. One of the things I want to do in the church in the future is I want to teach our young people. I want to teach our young people how dangerous drugs and alcohol is. I want to teach them. Do you know that this is a fact? The people who have the problems with the drugs and alcohol, they don't know it. They think everybody else is crazy. But can you imagine something that powerful? Everybody else is crazy. Oh, well, I, I, I can handle this. All the while, your life's falling apart. It's crazy. And yet we play with it. How many people have we worked with in recovery and we're just like, oh, if we could have only gotten to them when they were 12 years old. And the people that have come out of addiction, you know why their testimony is so strong? Because it shows that the power of God can do it. And we want them to speak to these young people. Look, you may be 20, 30 years old and say, oh, I can handle a little alcohol. How do you know you can? What if someone said, you got a problem? First thing you'd say is, I don't have a problem. That's what they all say. How do you know you're not one of them? One good way to know that you're not one of them is have somebody that you're accountable to 
to examine your life. The church's destination was catastrophic. It was catastrophic. You see, denial clouds reality. You don't see it right. You just don't see it right. Denial covers misery. See, the people that are in these types of hurts, habits, and hang-ups, these people that are lay out of sin, man, I'm good. Jesus is like, no, you're not. You're miserable. Isn't it funny that when folks come out of that lifestyle, they say, man, I was miserable. But while they're in it, I'm good. I'm good. Well, you got some temporary pleasure once in a while? I'm good. I'm losing everything, but I'm good. My body's breaking down, but I'm good. Covers misery and it causes emptiness. Habits leave you empty. The church's behavior was contradictory. Now, this is very important. The church's behavior was contradictory. They were saying one thing but doing another. <clears throat> and when Jesus spoke to them, he said, You say that you're rich and increased with good and have need of nothing, but you do not know. And the word for know in the Greek is this word. It's oikos. Oikos is the word that Jesus used. Now, this word is interesting because it doesn't mean simply like you don't realize. The, the NIV translated this word realize, but in the definition, you don't find the word realize, so I think they missed it here. But what Jesus is saying is you do not know, and he's using a term. Let's put the definition of this term in Greek. Belonging to a house or family, domestic, belonging to one's household related by blood. Jesus is using a term that designates a relationship. So he's saying, you guys are saying one thing, you're living another, and the reason is, is because this. You do not know. Do not know indicates no family relationship. You know what's going on? People in this church, they're just not Christians. They say they are, but they're not. How many people are going to stand before Jesus thinking, I'm good, I'm good, and Jesus is like, no, you're not good. Can you imagine what that would feel like? Well, I'll get right then. No. The time is now to get right. It's not tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen in a day. Our life is like a vapor, and it's gone. And I can testify the years pile up in a hurry faster than you can imagine. And God's been good to me for 59 years. I'm still here. And I'm still here for one reason today, to tell you that if you don't know Jesus personally, today is the day. Not tomorrow. So now you know. Jesus said you didn't know, but now you know. You know why I know that you know now? Because the Holy Spirit has already shown you what your need is. When you preach the word, see, I'm not preaching by myself. The Holy Spirit takes the word, and he applies it and illuminates it in your heart. So you know what the truth is now. What are you going to do about it? You know that the middle of the road is confusion. You know that. 
because you're not sure about anything. You know that the middle of the road is compromise. I'm going to have a little bit of this and not much of that. I'm going to go to the Jesus buffet. Give me a little grace over here, but I'll pass on the greens and the discipleship. Right? The middle of the road is compromise. Ladies and gentlemen, the middle of the road is catastrophic. Jesus started off this letter or ended this letter by saying, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. So let me just get point blank with you right now as we get ready for response. Do you have ears? Do you hear? Do you hear what the truth is today? Did God speak to you? Do you have the vision now? Do you see it? Do you see what God said? Jesus said, get the eye salve, put it on your eyes so you can see. Then my exhortation to you today is get out of the middle. Get out of the middle. Choose a side. Give what you have to Jesus. Jesus said, I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire. You know what that means? That means that the works that you do, you're going to do with the right motive. Because all of us Christians are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He's going to take our works and he's going to throw it in the fire. And either it's going to sustain, which will be gold, silver, or precious metals, or it will be burned up, which will be wood, hay, and stubble. Jesus is like, no more wood, hay, and stubble for you Christians. If you're a Christian and you've moderated in your desire today, I want to ask you to grab someone, come to the altar, and pray, and let's get our hearts right before God. And if today you find out that there is no gold at all, there is no righteousness in you, not no family relationship, I want to ask you to come to this altar today and confess Christ. If you've got ears to hear, if you can see it, then I want you today to say it. What I want you to say, I want you to say that Jesus Christ is Lord. Get out of the middle. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord. You know what that means? That means he's the boss. That means I don't straddle the fence. I get on his lane. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Period. For with your heart you believe. That's why he said in the heart. It's got to be in here. And are justified and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved.